Live from our super-secret studios above Jacques' Flower Shop, this is Gerard at Large. Yeah, baby! Good morning, Manchester. Live and local. News, sports, politics, traffic, and weather. Rich isn't afraid to tackle the tough questions. Who told you you can eat my cookies? You talking to me? Yeah, I hear you. You had a question for me. It's all here on the Gerard at Large radio program. Hello? On 90.7 WLMW, New Hampshire Family Radio. I'm sorry, who did you say you were? I am your host, Rich Gerard. Thanks for tuning in. Here's Richard. Good morning, Manchester. And to those of you in surrounding towns, welcome to our... I almost said hour three. Hour three, two, one... I am your Friday morning host, Rich Gerard. Thanks for tuning in. You can find us online at GerardAtLarge.com, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, also at Gerard at Large, where we encourage you to like us and to follow us because we just want to be loved. All right. So, it is Friday, and I know we have a show today, but uh, I had to read that whole Supreme Court decision this morning, so I was enthralled. And uh, I, I got to say, while I, I don't necessarily agree with the Supreme Court's decision in this one, uh, at least they laid it out, and it is understandable. And I think they laid it out in such a way that right-to-know advocates can take the court's decision and go to legislators and say, see... We told you so because a lot of the issues that uh, the court cited with language in the statute is language that people – that that the general court has changed in recent times to try to modernize the statute for the realities of electronic um, transfer of data. But as some right-to-know advocates have been arguing, it's, uh, it's not solving the problem. And, uh, you know, on, on, on a lesser scale, I'm kind of having a similar issue with the uh, Queen City's uh, personnel department right now because they have, as you know, longtime listeners of this show will remember the multiple right to know battles that we've had. Uh, but in particular, when we went to war with the city of Manchester over its proposed right to know policy. And, um, it would seem to me that jurisdictions are going out of their way because, let's be honest, they're not really making any money charging fees on right-to-know requests, and they're really not discouraging anybody who doesn't want to make a fee. So I, I did a right-to-know request on the alderman to find out which one of them have health insurance benefits. You'll probably want to pick that up. Oh, you probably want to tune in Monday morning or keep your eye on our blog over the weekend because we will be picking that up today. And so I get the email from the human resource director, Jane Guile, who is, I've, I've no criticism of. She's perfectly cooperative. Never had an issue getting information from her when I've asked. But she follows the little policy and she sends me a note. Your, your information is ready. It's one page. That will be $1. So I sent her a note back saying, I'll be by sometime tomorrow, meaning today, and I will where I will either take notes or I will take a picture of it. I'm not giving the city a dollar 
You could save me a trip by emailing the document. <laughs> I've not seen a reply. <laughs> but, um, you know, this idea... Listen, folks, I've been on both sides of the uh, of the government aisle, right? I've been the requestor, and I've been the requested. And so I understand, you know, communities not wanting to uh, tie up all kinds of staff time in providing right-to-know information. But, I, you know, the landscape has changed here. And when the court says, well... It exists in electronic format, but to email it, they would have to copy it into an email, i.e. attach the file. You know, I, I th- and they refuse to go into the legislative history of the statute uh, to, to evaluate David Taylor's argument because they say they only go into legislative history when the language of the law is unclear. And to them, the language of the law is clear. The district can do this. Now, keep in mind, this was a policy that the Timberlane Regional School Board, uh, if not the SAU Board, put into practice after Donna Green won the right-to-know request where they refused to provide her with electronic copies in the format that she asked for. She won that case. It was a big case, but there were limitations on the case's reach as demonstrated by this decision, which addressed those limitations. And we'll link to it in case you're kind of weird like me and you find this stuff interesting, you want to read it. But, um, you know, so now the Timberlane Regional School uh, District or the SAU 55 gets to say, oh, well, if you'd like electronic copies, you have to buy a thumb drive. I think you even have to buy it from them. And if you don't, you have to bring it in in a package. So every time you file a right to no request with the Timberlane Regional School Board, you've got to bring your own unopened brand. It's like, you know, toys for tots. Bring your new unopened toy. And we'll transfer the data. So all of a sudden now, the base cost of a right-to-know request, no matter how many pages in the in SAU 55, is $7.49. But, the, uh, of course, they claim, well, it's for the security of our, uh, it's for the security of our network. At Norton already. <laughs> but, um, you know... For seven dollars and forty nine cents, you could go buy an entire, you know, pack of hundred uh, DVDs or CDs that the data could be transferred onto as well. So why a thumb drive? Well, it's easy because people automatic people don't want to spend eight bucks to go get a thumb drive to go get a single piece of paper that could just as easily be emailed, more easily emailed. I mean, think about it. What do you have? You have these these governmental agencies constantly complaining about the amount of time it takes for them to comply with right to know requests. How much time would it take to comply with the right to know request by attaching a document you actually have on your computer desktop in electronic format to an email and typing the email address versus having to take a staff member from what they're doing, open the thumb drive or sell and provide the thumb drive to the uh, person making the request, 
stick the thumb drive into the computer, transfer the document or documents or related materials into the thumb drive, hand it back to the right to know request maker uh, who will probably have a laptop there that they will then plug into their drive to make sure uh, uh, plug that thumb drive into to make sure that they've got all the data and documents. So what happens in the case where someone says, oh, well, actually, uh, yeah, no, you you you're missing three documents that I asked for. Is all of a sudden now they're going to say, oh, well, you have to buy another thumb drive because that thumb drive has gone into your computer. It's unclean. That would be unfit. That would be unsafe data transfer. Anyway, so while the arguments appear to have been made rather well by Mr. Taylor, who represented himself before the Supreme Court. In reading the argument, it would seem that he hit the uh, you know the high points of the arguments that he wanted to make. The court, in rejecting the arguments, left a trail of breadcrumbs uh, that the legislature can use, if it's so inclined, to make it possible in today's day and age. You know, New Hampshire is one of the quote most wired states in the nation. You know, wallet hub. Did some study, and New Hampshire is the second most wired nation, a state in the nation, meaning we are the second most connected state as a percentage of our population to the internet. Cool. So, why is it in the second most connected to the internet state in the nation that uh, our legislature can't quite figure out how to get? the transference of public data to the public that is entitled to it electronically addressed. One of those things that just makes you shake your head and say, you know, it really shouldn't be this hard. And that's at the end of the day, I think, because the way governing bodies look at it is there's a presumption to secrecy where there ought to be a presumption to openness and I think probably what this is looking at, what this is telling us is that there needs to be a fundamentally different approach to the uh, uh, sharing of information in the electronic age. You know, there's no reason in the day in today's day and age of internet where uh, I'd say local jurisdictions, any state governing body should not be required to take verbatim minutes of their meetings and post them online. There, there ought to, you know, there, there are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of information out there that cities and towns, school districts, whatnot, complain about having to provide, but it's information that if they were doing their jobs in a transparent way, they'd be providing them as a matter of course. Arthur Green. And so um, it's just one of those things that shouldn't be as hard to get right as it is, except you're up against the in, the institutional inertia that comes with bureaucracies not wanting to do anything that they don't want to do and certainly not having to do more than they want or believe is necessary. So here's what we're going to do. I've been told that Arthur Green is on the telephone. We're going to take a break for traffic, weather, and sports, regular break. When we come back, we'll chat with Arthur Green, of Sandown, formerly of the 
Timberlane Regional School District's Budget Committee, uh, husband to that pesky Donna Green on the school board, and one of the founding members of the School Board uh, Governance Association of New Hampshire. I'm sure he's got something to say about this court case. 